Hey, welcome back, church family. Great to be together again. And guests, glad that you are with us. We hope that this uh, time will be a blessing to you. Well, before diving into our teaching time, uh, I just want to pray and start our time off seeking the Lord uh, together. So would you pray with me, please, right now? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. And we know that some of us come right now celebrating joys and just uh, blessings in our lives, and we're grateful. We know that some of us are hurting right now, and uh, our hearts are hurting, our bodies are hurting. And Lord, I just pray that you will give comfort right now, and that what we look at in your word will bring some healing and some hope. Lord, we know that some of us are spiritually seeking right now. Father, for those who don't know you, that are going to, again, or maybe even for the first time, hear about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and that which we put our greatest hope in. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help them take a step towards you today, maybe even place their faith in you. And God, as we think about all that's going on in our nation, Lord, we know that outside of a relationship with Jesus, uh, ultimate healing will never be found. So help us to be about that which uh, makes your heart hurt and and uh, those who need help. But Father, also help us to be agents of the gospel, bringing the good news of Jesus into a hurting world. And so God, guide our time. We're, we're uh, active students. We're attentive students right now to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to think about how many decisions you might make in a day. I think about that. How many decisions are you going to make in a day? How many decisions do you think you make in your lifetime? Uh, I just want to have a little quick interaction time uh, with each other. So those people in the room, I just want to give you some time. And let's, let's break this down a little bit. Ten seconds per person. All right. We're going to give you about 60 seconds overall. But hopefully that gives you about 10 seconds uh, on average per person to take turns. All right. Each person has 10 seconds. And start with the youngest in the room. And uh, the, the challenge is this. On your turn, try to rapid-fire as many decisions you can remember making in the last 24 hours, all right? Okay, you got 60 seconds, 10 seconds per person, go. I don't know how that went for you, but you probably uh, were surprised about how many decisions you probably made in the last 24 hours, if you could remember. Well, my son just took his ACT yesterday uh, for college. That's a big test. And I, I went online just to look at some of the sample questions and how many questions uh, he had to look at. Well, uh, he had <laughs> a lot of questions. And each question, you have to decide on the best.
best choice because most of them are multiple choice. And so each answer adds or takes away from your score, and then your score is going to determine maybe which college you get into, uh, how much money you might get for scholarships, if you get, can get into the program that you desire to get into. So there's a lot of pressure uh, that goes with each and every one of those decisions. And there's 215 questions which means you have 215 decisions to make in an allotted time. So it's just a lot. Well, we make hundreds of decisions each day, maybe even thousands, and hundreds of thousands of decisions in our lifetime. And God has given us the ability to make decisions. Some decisions are small. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to go today? Do I go to this store? Do I not go to this store? Uh, Am I going to hang out with a friend? There's smaller decisions. Uh, But at the same time, some decisions are big. Where am I going to go to school? What career path do I want to pursue? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? Uh, Who do we want to have be the guardians of our children if something happens to us? Uh, Do I take that treatment? Do I have that surgery? These are big decisions. But what we decide to do with Jesus is the biggest decision we will ever make in our life. And what our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors uh, decide about what to do with Jesus is the biggest decision they will ever make in their lifetime. And God in his grace and in his wisdom made it very, very simple for us. He didn't give us a spiritual ACT with 215 spiritual questions that we have to try to figure out and make decisions on. He made it very simple. Two decisions. Say yes to Jesus, receive and believe, or say no to Jesus and reject him and move on. And those who uh, repent and believe, they're going to be people who rejoice. And that's what Jesus tells us. And that's what I want to look at today together. So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Open up your Bible or your Bible app on your device. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. And we're going to look and listen to Jesus's teaching. And as you're turning to Luke 10 and finding Luke 10, uh, just to let you know, we are in our second week of a brand new series called No Filter. And we're going to spend time in the next couple of months looking at the teachings of Jesus. And we need to take his teachings at face value, uh, as God's truth, not as we want to see it, not to modify it by putting some sort of a filter over it. We don't want to put a filter of over-familiarity. We don't want to put on a, a filter of our personal opinion or maybe a filter that fits our political views. We need to look at Jesus, listen to his word, and apply it with no filter. And that's what we're going to do today as we resume uh, going through the book of Luke again uh, through this So Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to be today. And as we get into some of Luke 10, here's the context of where we're going to find ourselves in this moment. Jesus is preaching and he's healing all around the Sea of Galilee and the Galilean region. And he's equipping his followers to do his work. Now he's about to send 72 of his disciples uh, in 36 pairs. They're going to group up and go out all over the region to villages and towns and cities within the region of Galilee in pairs, 36 pairs. And they're going to go to those surrounding villages, uh, really sharing and spreading the good news about Jesus. And that's the moment we're about to enter into. And really, in the verses we're going to look 
look at, we're going to see two moments. We're going to see first, Jesus is really giving a pep talk and some instructions to his disciples before he launches them out to do ministry. And then we're going to see them return and Jesus debrief with them and give them some uh, really closing thoughts off that moment. And I think what we're going to see Jesus say to these 72 disciples is still true for us today. And I want to focus on three key words that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 8 through 20. And all these three key words are going to start with an R. So as we go through this passage, let's see if you can figure out which three R words we're going to be talking about today and focusing. So Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 8, here's what we see. Jesus is speaking to these 72 he's about to deploy. And he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. We're going to pause there. So these are instructions for the 72. A little pep talk from Jesus before he deploys them. And I want to look at two of our key R words. And they are repent and reject. The first word is repent. Many of you know this word. You might be very familiar with this word. Uh, some of you might be unfamiliar with the word. It's a very churchy kind of word. But we want to be careful not to lose the significance and the power and the meaning of this word repent. Uh, we don't want it to grow dull and distant for us. Uh, we can uh, accidentally put a filter on that word if we're not careful. A filter of over-familiarity, a filter of disconnectedness. Um, we can't let that happen. Maybe uh, you've heard this word used aggressively or maybe even abusively in a spiritual context. I just hope that today we can look again at this word and be refreshed and reminded of the beauty and the depth and significance of the word repent. Now, the word repent in the Bible is the word metanaeo, which means literally to change the mind. So we use this concept of a U-turn to understand what repentance means. I shared this illustration uh, quite a while back. It was what, a, what's what repentance feels like. One time I was at a movie theater and I accidentally walked into the women's restroom. And within seconds I realized this is the women's room. And fortunately no one was in there. But that, that reaction to like, no, this is not where I want to be. I quickly turned around and went out the door and went to the right restroom. That's what repentance feels like. It's an acknowledgement that you're going the wrong way. You're on the wrong path and you, you you turn around, you change your mind, and you turn around and go the other way. And then Jesus 
and was launching these 72 disciples into the missions field. And as he's deploying them, he says, this message that you're going to share, this message of God's kingdom coming near, this message of forgiveness available uh, from God through his Messiah, it's going to be a message that people should hear and it should trigger repentance. And if they have a repentant attitude and a repentant posture, then they're going to receive the message and uh, believe in it. They're going to respond with repentance. And then Jesus illustrates what a repentant response does and doesn't look at by giving a contrast. So look again at verses 13 to 15. He says something very interesting and starts using the names of towns that many of you have never heard of, right? He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have what? repented, right? A long time ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And those are uh, very visible signs of grief, a sackcloth, just a scratchy outfit and, and, you know, ashes on your head. These these were signs of grief and mourning. And so those would have been very repentant actions. Um, He also says, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Jesus picks out uh, some cities that would have been very familiar to his listeners. You'll see them here on this map up in the northern section of Galilee. Now, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. They're all cities in the northern region of Galilee in Israel that were full of Jews, religious people. And Jesus was doing miracles in these cities. He was healing. He was teaching the truth of God with authority and power. And they, they really got kind of an extra dose, especially Capernaum, because Capernaum was the home base of Jesus. Jesus during the time of his ministry. And he's basically saying, look, I did all these amazing works in your villages, in your cities, but you didn't repent. It just kind of fell on deaf ears. And, and what I notice about these towns, it's not that they attacked Jesus. They, they, didn't, they weren't hostile to Jesus necessarily. They just didn't do anything with his message. And not necessarily every person was in that place, but those communities as a whole. And so he's basically saying, uh, how can you, who've given such great exposure to truth and miraculous um, you know, demonstrations of who I am as God in the flesh, be so immovable? and indifferent and passive. And then in contrast, he uses the towns of Tyre and Sidon. And these are on the northwest coast of the Mediterranean uh, seaboard. These were Phoenician cities used all through the Bible, and they were pagan cities. And a lot of times they were cities that would attack the Jewish people. And uh, those cities were a lot of times metaphors or symbols for pride and arrogance. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying if Tyre and Sidon, these pagan cities that represented arrogance and pride, if they would have seen what you've seen, If they would have heard what you heard, they would have repented. So if they're going to be judged, in a sense, uh, for for not responding to God, how much more you who've been so greatly exposed? And he's really poking at their high level of uh, not wanting to repent, their inability to repent because they're prideful, they're arrogant, and their heart, they were unwilling to repent. And so we see that Jesus is using that as a contrast. 
Um, and it's interesting to note, by the way, that all three of these non-repentant cities that Jesus mentions, but all those three cities right now, they're ruins. There's nothing there. There's no uh, village or city that, that's active. And so really, uh, it's a sad, tragic uh, walk to go through those ruins and realize this used to be a thriving place where Jesus was, but now it's no longer here. And I think that's the outcome of what we do when we reject Christ and we don't repent. It leads to ruin in our lives. And so this is a very important word that Jesus is going after, to repent, repentance. And for those who do not know Christ... What does that mean? Well, to spiritually repent is when you turn away from the godless and self-centered path you're on and you turn to Jesus. Uh, You admit you're a sinner. You admit that uh, you have a broken relationship with God and you're rebellious with God. And then you believe that Jesus came on your behalf and died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave. And then you commit your life to following him. You basically do a spiritual U-turn from yourself, trusting in yourself, to trusting in Christ. And you commit your life to following Jesus. You go to the Jesus path rather than the self path. But repentance is not just for unbelievers. Repentance is for those of us who are followers of Christ. And so for those who do know Jesus, we might make the mistake of thinking repentance is kind of a one and done when you give your life to Christ. Oh yeah, I did that when I you know, received Christ as my Savior. That couldn't be further from the truth. We disobey and disappoint God every day. Our wrong attitudes our wrong words and choices and actions. Uh, We still have sin that infects us and and reveals how impure we can really be. And so uh, we need to daily wake up with a heart posture of repentance because every day we disobey God as well. And so we need to be reminded that repentance doesn't mean you're apologizing or that you just feel bad, but that you change the behavior. That you actually change directions when you come to a place of repentance. So we want to take a heart posture of repentance every day, even when we know Christ. And during the last couple of weeks, I think if we're really going to look at what's going on in our nation, and you look what's happening in the church and with believers, there's room for a lot of repentance. Because honestly, uh, some of you have taken to social media, some of you have had conversations with people face to face, where what you said and how you said it is not how Jesus would want you to say it, or not what Jesus would want you to say. And I think as a believer, we need to step back and go, you know what, I need to repent for the words I used, for the tone I had, even for the argument I was making in some cases, because I don't think that's what Jesus was about. And as an unbeliever, uh, watching all that going about, you think, well, if, that, if that's what Jesus is going to do in the life of someone, I don't necessarily know if I want on board that boat. And so we need to realize that what we do, what we say, and how we act uh, conveys what Jesus is doing in our life. Well, we all know that we have room to grow. We're all a a work in progress. And so there's repentance that needs to take place every day. So we see that as one key word that Jesus is using, that those who hear his message, some will repent. Some will do the other R word that we see here. And that second R word is reject. Now, when a person doesn't repent and receive Christ, they're in a place of rejecting Christ. This is a conscious decision. We talked about decisions, right? This is a decision. Uh, Basically, you're saying, I will not believe. And Jesus makes it really clear here, there's no filter, that those who reject him, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, his divine identity as God in the flesh, uh, that's a rejection of him. And if we reject God, then we reject 
the gifts that God is offering us. And so we're rejecting heaven. We're rejecting a repaired relationship with God. We're rejecting really a peace and a hope and a love and a joy that uh, are unlocked in our life at a higher degree uh, than when we knew Christ. All these gifts and blessings that God has for us, when we reject God, And we reject Jesus, who's God in the flesh. We reject those aspects of who God is and what he offers us. And so it's foolish to reject God. But we've all been there once ourselves, or maybe are in that place even right now. Jesus wants you to receive him, to repent and believe, not to reject him. Uh, But Jesus takes it a step further. Look again at verse 16. He says, the one who hears you, this is where he's speaking to the 72, right? He says, the ones who hear you, uh, hear me. And one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Like, you don't need a filter for that. You need to take that at face value. Jesus is is really using the spiritual chain of command. He's saying, if if a person comes in the name of Christ and is rejected, they're not just rejecting the messenger. They're not just rejecting the message. They're rejecting the one who sent the message. So Jesus is really using the emissary uh, concept here. We know that when a sovereign leader wanted to communicate a message, they would send an ambassador or an emissary, some sort of representative on their behalf. And how the recipient took that messenger, took that message, uh, indicated what they thought about the one who sent it. And so I think honestly here there's a caution and a warning, but there's also an affirmation for us who know Christ. So the caution and the warning is basically this. Uh, Whether it's in a church service or an online service like this, and you're hearing the word of God and you're hearing about Jesus, uh, if you reject me as the messenger or someone else who's preaching, or you reject the message that's coming, you're you're not really rejecting me. You're not necessarily rejecting um, the people involved, uh, the message you're hearing. You're, You're really rejecting God's offer of relationship, God's offer of forgiveness. And I think that's, that's a huge warning because if you reject Jesus, then you're rejecting that reconciliation and forgiveness of God. And I think that's also very affirming for us who are followers of Christ because we know that Jesus has commanded us to share our faith. And a lot of us are intimidated to share uh, what Jesus has done in our life. Look, the pressure's off. If, if I sit down with my friend and I have coffee, or if I'm in a small group or I'm in a service like this, and I start to share about Jesus, if the person doesn't want to hear anything about it, they're not really rejecting me. They're not really rejecting the message as much. They're rejecting the one who sent it, the sovereign one. And so I think this is very sobering um, words and language that we need to take to heart. I think the only exception to that uh, really is, is depending on how the messenger acts in life and conveys the message. So obviously, if a person is being very aggressive, if they're being, um, if, if they're very being very demeaning, or if they're life, if they're abusive in nature, uh, they're demeaning in nature, and then they try to pull the Jesus card out. Of course, the person's going to be like, "You're living, you're living uh, hypocrisy. You're living contradiction. I don't want anything to do with what you believe." And so I think that is is different. But even then, I think we all need to agree, God's message of the need to repent and receive Christ comes through even through flawed messengers. And so we can't make the mistake of thinking if the messenger is flawed, the message is flawed. No, the message is solid. And so Jesus uses the spiritual chain of command, and I think the pressure is off for those of us who know Christ. We can boldly share who Jesus is and what he's done without being afraid because they're not rejecting us if they don't want to hear it. They're rejecting the one who we're speaking about. 
And uh, I think that's why a lot of us feel the urgency. When you think about your one, you think about your family, you think about your friends and neighbors that you care a lot about, uh, there's this urgency that you don't want them to reject Christ. You don't want them to reject this incredible love that you've uh, come to know. You don't want them to... Um, be turned away, not just at heaven's door, but also miss out on what it means to be a beloved child of God. I think if we're going to be honest, um, in our broken state with sin, we're all trying to find identity and worth in so many different places. Your job, your image, your income, all these things. But when you realize how much God loves you, and that he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, and that you have tremendous value and worth in God's eyes just because he loves you, And when you become a beloved child of God, it frees you from having to find your identity in things that will fade or can be taken away so quickly because you belong to God. And it's very freeing. And so when we talk about receiving Jesus, it's not just punching this ticket for heaven. It's understanding that you can have a vibrant, thriving relationship with God now that frees you, and you get heaven on top of that, which is just an incredible deal. That's all because of God and His grace and what He offers us. And so... Don't reject the messenger. Don't reject the message. Look beyond and see the one who sends the message. And for those of you who do not know Christ, um, you know, uh, what that means is you just need to come to that place that you need to acknowledge that rejecting the message of Jesus is refusing to believe that God loves you that much that he would die on the cross for your sins to bring you into relationship. And so whether... um, Aggressive rejection or passive rejection, it's still rejection. And again, just like those cities, those cities didn't attack Jesus. You know, Bethsaida didn't rally an army to get him. They just kind of ignored what he said and did. A lot of us have made that same mistake. Our rejection is passive. And some of you, you've been hurt. You've been wounded by people who maybe have called themselves a Christian. I encourage you, look past that person's mistakes and flaws and their character and look, look for yourself in the Bible. Look for yourself at who God is and what he's done in through Christ. And don't reject this God who loves you so much. And for those of you who do know Christ, uh, we may have eternal security, but we can actually reject God in a more subtle way. And that's usually in the form of disobedience. So maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but if Jesus says, love your neighbor, but then you're not loving your neighbor, if you're using words or actions that are harming your neighbor, that's actually a rejection of the teaching of the one you say you love. Uh, if, if Jesus says to be holy because I'm holy and we choose not to pursue holiness, but we actually pursue sinful decisions, sinful company, sinful circumstances in life, then, then really that's a form of rejecting the teachings. And even though our salvation isn't at stake, we're missing out on a great opportunity to witness to others and experience intimacy with God when we step out of line. And so that whole thing of rejection cuts both ways as well. We need to make sure that we're not rejecting Christ. And so uh, we looked at those two key R words. We looked at what it means to repent and to reject. Let's continue on with the rest of this passage and look at our third R word that I want to focus on. So Jesus is about to send out the 72. Um, He sends them out, and now they return. So this next passage, they've returned, and they're debriefing over the situation. Look at Luke 10, 17. 
It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The third R word I want to focus on is rejoice. It's to rejoice. Jesus commissioned these disciples. He gave them his authority, and he deployed them to make an impact. He basically said, you've watched me do all this, now I'm sending you to do it. Go share this message, and I'm going to give you my authority and power to do supernatural work to validate the message. And when the 72 came back, they were blown away by what they had experienced on their mission. And they were relaying back to Jesus, demonic angels had to obey whatever we said because we were using your name, the name above all names. And so people were healed. The message was preached. And even demons had to submit to that which was being told of them in the name of Christ. And so Jesus affirmed them. He referred to Satan falling like lightning. And so we, we um, you look at that in two ways. Jesus might be referring to uh, when Satan first fell back uh, before uh, creation and, and rebelled against God. But there's also reason to believe that he's talking about as the disciples were going out, as they were ministering, Satan's strongholds were coming down. And you're starting to see the defeat of Satan's territory and the hold that he has. And Jesus is speaking about that coming down. And so the 72 experienced that the power and authority of Christ had effectively been delegated to them and now was being used and the kingdom of Satan was being defeated. Also, he promised them protection and power. He talked about treading on uh, serpents and scorpions. Now, there are some people that get really wacky and they start trying to test that theory. You're like, I'm going to go pick up a scorpion to see if, it get, if I get stung. Or I'm going to go pick up a viper to see if that venom will hurt me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he's speaking to these 72, he's saying, as you go out, I'm going to protect you. You're not going to get hurt by wildlife. I'm going to protect you from the adversary. I'm going to protect you from opposition. You're going to go and you're going to preach, teach, heal, and, and take authority in my name, and I'm going to protect you. And they came back understanding that and experiencing that. And I just want to remind you on that note that every follower of Christ, through faith in Jesus and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, has been given power to defeat the work of the enemy the work of the devil. And so if you have Christ in you, you've, given, you've been given the power to break out of depression. You've been given the power uh, to break out of addiction. You've been given the power uh, to overcome fear and bitterness and hatred. And that's awesome. But as awesome as that is, that's not the biggest win. That's not the win that he wants these disciples to rejoice most over. Look again at verse 20. He's not rebuking them, but he's calling them to a greater thing to rejoice in. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you have all this power, all this authority. You've experienced these incredible things as you serve me. He says that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus didn't rebuke them for the joy and spiritual victory, but he did make sure they were finding their greatest joy in the ultimate win. 
which was their names, written in heaven. And so as wonderful as the miracles were, as great as the miracles were, as ultimate um, of a feeling that that was, it's not the ultimate win. The ultimate win is the saving of a soul. And so the Bible teaches that those who come to faith uh, in God through Jesus Christ, their names are written in God's book of life or also known uh, as the Lamb's Book of Life. Just some verses to look at on the screen there with me. Revelation 3, 5. Uh, and we're going to look at several voices because I really want you to see the beauty of this uh, reality. Revelation 3, 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the Book of Life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 20, 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, referring to the future heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the book of Revelation is this forecasting of the, the future that God has for us. And there's this book of life that holds the name of everyone who is in Christ. But that's not the only place we see this language. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of believers in Philippi. He says, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. He's giving these personal remarks. And he says, whose names are in the book of life? And then he says right after that, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why do we have reason to rejoice? Because our names are written in the book of life. That brings rejoicing. And this is not just in the New Testament or in Revelation. In Exodus 32, 33, Moses refers to it. Moses says, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Psalm 69, verses 27 to 28 it says, add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. And so just as a, as a visual, I've got a big book here. It's an old uh, family Bible that was given to me and Rika on our, on our wedding day. It's just a big book I could find. But it's like God has this book of life. And for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we're going to find our names in that book. So Chad Allen, right? I think I'll probably be putting, you know. And so we look and like when you come to Christ, you're going to find your name in God's book of life. Those who repent and those who receive Christ. But if you reject, then your name's not in here. And so think about that for a second. Like God gives us the opportunity to experience amazing things on this earth. And even serving God, like even for me, I love being a pastor. I love teaching God's word. Um, I, I love just seeing God work. But that's not the ultimate joy. I shouldn't rejoice in that as the ultimate win. The ultimate win, my name's in this book. The ultimate win for you, if you know Christ, your name is in this book. And so that unlocks tremendous confidence and boldness and appreciation and thanksgiving in our lives. And for those of you who don't know Christ, like you want your name in God's book. You don't want to reject him. You want to have your name in the Lamb's book of life. And so how does your name get into the book of life? Repentance, not rejection. And those who repent instead of reject, they're going to rejoice. It's going to be great joy. And when our loved ones, our family, and our friends have their names put in this book, 
Like there's no greater joy for us to know that, that, that my family has their names in this book. And for you, that your family members will have their name in this book. That's the greatest joy. See that what Jesus did? I mean, these guys came back experiencing supernatural experiences. And Jesus is going, that's good, but it's not the biggest win. The biggest win, the ultimate joy, is when your name's put in this book. In fact, maybe, maybe you're ready right now. Like you've heard enough. Maybe you've heard multiple times in your life about your need for Christ, and you've never transferred, you've never repented and turned your life to Christ. Maybe this is the moment that you need to do that. And I would love to take this moment and just pause and pray with you. And, and honestly, it's not my prayer. It's, it's not so much the words of the mouth, but it's the, the movement of the heart where you admit that you're a sinner and you need God. And so if you've never given your life to Christ before, let's just take a moment and just ask Christ to do this work in your life. Would you pray with me? And, and if you already know the Lord, why don't you pray for somebody right now that you know doesn't know the Lord, your one or somebody in your home or your family or in your circle of influence that you hope gets their name in this book and in your future. So let's pray. So Lord, I thank you for this moment. And God, I pray right now for those who are watching this, that they know without a shadow of a doubt that they've never repented. Lord, they're just on that road of, of self-centered living, trusting in themselves. But today you have convicted their spirit. You're drawing them to yourself and they're ready to take that step. And if that's you, would you say, God, I am a sinner. I'm lost, and I'm broken, and I admit that. And I admit that I need you. And right now, I place my belief in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for raising from the grave so that I can be forgiven and repaired and made whole by you. And right now, I commit my life to following you. Help me to grow and to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to give you some instructions in a little bit of what your next step would be so we can help you grow. But this is just a very significant moment that Jesus is taking his people to. Now, I just want to talk to you guys for a second because obviously we've had a lot of upheaval in our nation over the last few weeks. And I think this is very appropriate because I think the reason some of us are struggling with what Jesus is saying here is because we have made some other things our ultimate joy. We find ourselves rejoicing in other things that could be good, but shouldn't be the ultimate source of joy. And so maybe for you, it's winning, winning an argument or proving your point or getting someone to be silenced because you overwhelm them with your, your point of view. Um, look, look uh, the world is standing by watching us as followers of Christ. And if what they see is people who are getting a lot of joy and getting sucked into overly worldly topics and situations, it dilutes our influence with what matters most which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be informed. Uh, we need to take a stand for that which we believe is on God's heart. Injustice is part of what's on God's heart. Uh, doing good is definitely part of God's heart. Walking humbly is on God's heart. You see that over and over and over again in Scripture. But ultimately, what Jesus went to the cross for was to rescue the lost. Some of us are so busy infighting and dealing with so many other issues, you haven't even thought of people who don't know Christ. You haven't even been praying for people who don't know Christ. You've been too busy looking at other issues, good issues, important issues that God would give a double thumbs up for, but are you finding your greatest joy in the ultimate issue, 
the salvation of a soul. And so I think it's timely for us to look at these words. And even though we're going through the book of Luke, we're going to see more and more teaching that pertains to our time. I love that about the Bible. It's always relevant. But for today, I just want to encourage you, is the salvation of the soul the ultimate source of your joy and rejoicing? Or have you gone off course a little bit? And you do you need to repent and come back to what uh, matters to God most? So based on what you heard today, what decisions do you need to make? You don't need to make 215 decisions, maybe just one today. Some of you might have already made that decision by repenting and giving your life to Christ. What course corrections are necessary for you to do today to align with the understanding of that those who repent, not reject, will rejoice? So I want to move to our response time. This is just a moment where uh, you have an opportunity to convert your hearing to doing. I'd like to give you a few options right now and then just really encourage you to participate. Now, if we were together live, uh, this might be a moment where you stand or you might raise a hand or fill out a card. And so we thought that uh, a neat way to just keep getting a tangible way to say I'm doing something today is just to text. Uh, we have some friends that are on the other end of CVC's texting number. Let's blow this number up right now and just see what God's doing in your heart. And we're going to have a response time. When I'm done talking, you're going to have about 60 to 90 seconds just to respond. Here's some options for you to respond with. First, if you're new here, you've already heard this, but if you're new and you're just kind of checking things out, would you just send us again, just text us right now, just pick up your phone even right now and just text new. Just text new to the number 440-276-5575. It's just need to know how many new friends we have with us today and uh, gives us an idea how to pray for you even though we don't know you by name and just say, I'm new. That way we just know we have some new friends. Also, if you gave your life to Christ today, you're taking that step of faith, would you text Jesus? Boldly, joyfully text the word Jesus to that same number, 440-276-5575. And uh, we're going to text you back and let you know a couple steps you can take to grow in your new faith in Jesus. So right now, get out that phone and text Jesus to that number if you gave your life to Christ tonight. Also, maybe you're a follower of Christ And as we've been walking through this, the Holy Spirit of God has brought to your mind an area of repentance. Just maybe it's addictions or a pattern of behaving or thinking or a heart posture. Maybe it's something you've done in the recent days or weeks that you just know isn't pleasing to God. We want to give you a moment during this response time to just pray. Just to pray and say, God, I'm sorry. And not only am I sorry, but I want this to change in my life. I'm going to do a U-turn. We want to give you a chance to respond as well. So to that same number, would you just text, I'm repenting. That's it. I'm repenting. And we don't know what it's about, but this is just a chance for us to be able to celebrate with you. And um, you praying and repenting to God is what matters most. But there's something to be said about doing something tangible, writing on a card, making a note in your Bible, sending a text that just says, I've done something tangible to lock in this moment that actually happened. And so uh, text, I'm repenting, uh, to that 440-276-5575 number if God's stirring something in your heart. And even though we don't know uh, what your name is, just know we're going to say a prayer for you, that God helps you make that U-turn that you need. If you have a deeper issue, maybe this conversation has provoked the need to have have a connection with someone live, would you text the word connect to that number? 
Just say, I need a conversation with a pastor. I need to unpack some things. Just text the word connect during this response time, and we'll set up a time that we can get with you on the phone and maybe see how we can help you, pray for you, and help you take your next steps. Also, CVC family, this response time is a great time for your online giving. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Because of your faithfulness, uh, our ministry has been going strong and people's lives have been changing and the message has been getting out and we've been able to bless a lot of people in our region. So thank you for your faithfulness. So just text or go to give on our online website at cvconline.org or use your app. And during this response time, you can also give your tithes and offerings to the Lord. And so for today, let's just remember, those who repent, not reject, will rejoice. And so may God help you and help me and help us all to rejoice in the things that bring God most glory and most joy. So here's our response time. Enjoy it. Take your next step and we'll see you next week.